in general for any rare disorder no matter how rare you think it is that you're never alone you just have to go digging enough on the good old google machine and i'm sure you're gonna find some help somewhere Hello, my name is Colby, and welcome to Wait, How Do You Spell That?, a rare disease podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing glansmina thrombasthenia, also known as GT, which is a rare blood clotting disorder. Symptoms of GT are often first present at birth and include prolonged bleeding and easy bruising. The National Institutes of Health here in the United States estimates that around 500 people worldwide have been diagnosed with GT, though that number is probably underreported. With me today, I have two very special guests from the Glansman's Research Foundation, Taylor Ann Burtz and Peter Zadarsky, the president and vice president, respectively. Taylor, Peter, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, how's it going? It's great to have you on. Uh, so to start, uh, would you mind introducing yourselves and explaining how you got involved with the Glansman's Research Foundation? My name is Peter Zadarsky. Uh, I got involved with GT because... Uh, I was diagnosed with it when I was around eight months old. For a large part of my life, I didn't know anyone else with GT, and my mom went on the, online and she got in touch with Helen Smith, Taylor's mother, and that's how I started going to events and meeting others with my disorder. And then from there, uh, the rest of this kind of jumped off, and Helen ended up asking me to help out with the Facebook group, and then. Recently, with our rebranding, is where I took on the vice president role. So I am Taylor Ann Burtz. Uh, as Peter mentioned, my mom uh, was Helen Smith, and my little sister uh, Julia was diagnosed uh, within a couple of months after being born. I always refer to myself uh, kind of as well. Starting off, it wasn't this way, but uh, as the background person. <laughs> So uh, growing up with a mom who is a founder of a uh, research foundation is quite interesting. I have been hands-on helping with the foundation uh, since I was 11. You know, throughout the years and everything, helped out with that, helped out with the fundraisers. Uh, GT was our, our entire life. <laughs> and last year um, my mother actually passed away unexpectedly and my sister is in college now and in the middle of you know pretty her senior year and some extraneous uh, scholastic things going on so she actually asked me to step in which was not really ever the plan I was always going to be a part of the foundation but like I said kind of was a background person yeah, this, this past year kind of stepped into the role and the people who we've known since the early 2000s know who I am and, at, you know, any of the, the events that we had know who I am. But there were a good number of people on our Facebook group who just kind of weren't really aware. And those first couple of months were a little bit tricky, but with the help of Peter and, um, you know, re kind of like setting up our board with a bunch of GT people, we were um, able to spend this past year rebranding and life into it, which was a lot of fun. 
can you explain a little more about GT and what sort of challenges GT patients face? GT is a clotting disorder. Um, we're missing a protein in our platelets that help them stick together. So my like base easiest description of it is our platelets stick, but they have trouble sticking. So I guess you could say our bruising is probably the main thing that you'll see on a GT patient that uh, it's very visual. Cuts and nosebleeds are the big gushers. Those are the things that can go on for a while without uh, stopping completely. And then the main danger to GT is uh, internal bleeding. So GI bleeds are a big one. And uh, what kind of challenges does this present for a GT patient just in, in daily life or um, you know, things that they have to be aware of that other people don't? Uh, I'd say the first thing would be just being a little bit more careful in your daily life. So uh, making sure you're not bumping into things, um, staying away from anything that might make bleeding more prevalent. So uh, in boys, a big thing for me, at least once when I was growing up was staying away from contact sports. So raising someone with GT can be tough because you want them to have the most normal life they can, but you also want to keep them safe. So I was being kept away from contact sports. Right. Um, and Julia, you know, used to laugh um, because she used to tell mom that she basically wanted her to wrap her up in bubble wrap, which is true. You know, um, especially with, like Peter said, the kids and everything, when they're crawling or learning how to walk or anything like that, you know, you think bruises, you're like, oh, okay, just a couple of bruises. No, we're talking full on black eyes at the age of two, crawling would leave the knees absolutely bruised up. I mean, it's almost like a Dalmatian. You've got black spots all over yourself. And that is... Um, something that, again, that's the patient's normal. That's the person who has GT. That's their normal. And it becomes kind of your normal as well in the family unit. But when you go out, you don't really think about it that way. And, um, you know, an outsider looking in, if they don't know what's going on, it almost looks like abuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually had a case. I can't remember it exactly my age, but I was younger and, um, Someone saw me, I think it was in the supermarket or something, and someone reported it to the, uh, what's the organization, Taylor? Uh, CPS. Yeah, and um, someone came to our house to make sure everything was all right, and they had to explain that, no, he, he has a bleeding disorder, he gets bruises very easily, and uh, we actually published a piece in the local newspaper to let everyone know you see this child and he has a couple of black guys, everything's okay. That's his normal. Right. We had a similar situation when my sister was little. Um, and it was the same exact thing. We went to Walmart and, um, my mom actually got apprented by a woman, um, because Julia had a, a really big black eye. And after that, mom carried a letter from the doctor. And I believe Peter's mom did the same thing. She started carrying a letter. So that's kind of one of the first things that we advise people. Like once you get a diagnosis and your child is a, like under a certain age or even, you know, in middle school or high school, you have to make sure that you protect yourself as well and have a letter that's explaining um, and make sure that all of your, your teachers, coaches, all of that, everybody knows exactly what's going on. 
definitely something that most families wouldn't wouldn't know about. And so, Taylor, you said your mother founded the Glansman's Research Foundation in 2001. So it's almost 20 years old at this point. Uh, so yeah. what's, the, what's the overall mission of the foundation and its efforts to help GT patients and their families? So our core has always stayed the same. We found, uh, we actually stumbled across a researcher. He has been researching a cure for almost 30 years now. He, his research at the time that Joya was diagnosed was extremely promising. And mom, like I said, she had stumbled across him and they um, connected. And that's why she started the foundation was to bring awareness and raise funds for his research. And then it turned into, you know, once we realized that the internet was such a good place to be able to connect with people then it turned into being that, um, you know, safe haven for G people with GT, um, being able to provide that connection, have the stories out there. That's something that our original website had, where is the faces of GT, and everybody has their own, you know, they, they can submit their story in their own words. And finding that we've heard so many stories about how people come across the website and it's not even the website itself. It's just those stories that really make that impact. And they realize like they're not alone anymore. And I, I can't even imagine what that feels like. I was pretty lucky to grow up with Facebook and the internet. I, I really can't imagine what it was like beforehand. So we, we put out questions before people joined the Facebook group. And when they uh, asked to join, they're always very shocked and they're very, they're extremely happy to not only find a group that has people, but to find a group that has so many. I mean, it doesn't have a thousand or so, but we have over 500 members now and a good amount of them are very active and are always looking to help each other whenever there's a question that needs answering. That's great to hear. And so uh, speaking of the website, the website for the Glansman's Research Foundation, and that's at curegt.org. It has a lot of great tools and advice on it. Uh, what are some of the good basics that you recommend for people who are facing a new diagnosis? I definitely would go to the resources. Our entire board worked on this as well as the entire community. Peter actually went through our Facebook group and looked at like the most common topics that people, you know, ask questions about. And then we kind of went from there. And so we have a really cool, like frequently asked questions. Um, we have a glossary because not all of us are uh, lucky enough, I guess, to grow up in a medical family or have been around, you know, around that terminology and everything. So we have a glossary on there too. Um, and then medications and remedies because there are a lot of really good over-the-counter products that people just don't realize um because i think that a lot of doctors don't even realize that it could help in certain situations uh for cuts i use this okay. thing called wound seal it's like it's my go-to when a cut is beyond uh pressure and ice and uh we put all our good products like that on there that you may not have heard of um or even thought of and along with the resources page we uh have a really good news section too. It said something about bacon for nosebleeds. I, that just came to mind, but we got <laughs> some funny stuff like that too that are interesting. Hey, you, were, 
you were really excited about that too. That, oh, yeah. The bacon story. And then we also found, wasn't it a cat that was diagnosed with GT? Yeah, first ever cat. And apparently it's more rare in cats than dogs. That's that's funny to think about. I, I didn't even know that cats could could get GT. Exactly. Well, yeah. neither did we. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, moving on, one area that can be particularly tricky for patients with bleeding disorders is surgery and medical procedures. What advice do you have to help people navigate managing their health care with a GT diagnosis? Always prepare for the worst. So my mom was a huge, huge advocate of no platelet transfusions. My sister is 22 and she has never had a platelet transfusion. Um, The only time that we ever considered it uh, was when she was about two or three and her hemoglobin, which a a typical healthy person, uh, a healthy female, your hemoglobin is going to be about 12 or 13. Julia's was about three. Um, And so that was the only time we considered it. With her treatment, it was always, we always have red blood cells on standby, filtered red blood cells on standby. Um, Same thing with, uh, there is a uh, factor seven drug called Novo seven. And so that's always on standby as well. It helps with clotting. Always be prepared for the worst. Um, Don't necessarily expect it though, because we've had so many people, you know, um, we've had people go through knee replacements and not need um, anything extra. We've had people go through gallbladder surgery and not need anything extra. So, but then you also have the times where all of a sudden, you know, you do start bleeding or you do start losing a lot of blood. And so you have all of that on standby and you're, and you're ready to go instead of, scrambling at the last minute. Yeah, one thing that I've heard commonly mentioned among parents of children with rare diseases is that they carry an emergency plan with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was that something that you recommend for GT as well, an emergency plan that you can hand to say emergency uh, responders or you know, kind of having a go bag in your car? Those are two common things I've heard. Is that something you recommend for GT as well? Okay, so Peter is not the person to ask on this. <laughs> not so he good about the emergency refer, plan. Refer to himself as, he likes to refer to himself as the bad example. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he likes to uh, go against what you're supposed to do. With GT, everyone is so different. You have to be very comfortable with your own body and realize that you know your own body even sometimes better than the doctor's. So I think it's very important to realize, try your best to get a great doctor that really understands your disorder. And if they don't, um, keep looking. Don't be afraid to say no and look for someone that you're comfortable with. And that's one thing that we have found where, and nobody wants to hear this because it's absolutely terrifying, but sometimes doctors aren't right. Um, And if you don't feel comfortable with your doctor, you don't have to stay with that doctor. You can find somebody else. And that's the biggest thing with this is you have got to find a doctor who is willing to work with you and listen to you because everything that they were taught in medical school for bleeding protocols and all of that are completely wrong when it comes to patients. The first thing a lot of doctors want to do is platelet transfusions. Like I said, my mom was such a huge advocate against that. Um, and it's because 
I explained this earlier today and please excuse my like analogy, but it's almost like with smoking cigarettes. You never know which cigarette you smoke is going to give you lung cancer. With platelet transfusions for GT patients, you never know which platelet transfusion is going to give you antibodies. So GT patients' bodies will eventually attack those healthy platelets that are being introduced in their body. And if it's not a, an absolute life-saving measure at that moment, then you could be potentially shooting yourself in the foot for an emergency down the road where you would really need those platelets and you wouldn't be able to use um, typical platelets. You would have to find that. And that just makes it a lot harder. And especially if you're in a life-threatening belief, you, you don't want uh, to make it any more difficult. You, you want to be able to get Many rare disease patients, um, they opt to use a medical ID. Is that something that you recommend for GT patients as well? Yes. Um, the reason why is because uh, GT patients can't have um, anything that would be, you know, uh, blood thinning of any kind. So say that they're in a car wreck or anything like that, EMTs do need to know that they can't, they can only have uh like Tylenol, they can't have any NSAIDs, so ibuprofen, any of that is out of the question. Um, yeah, so no blood thinners of any kind. Um, and again, it, it is important that they know that because there's nothing really in the ambulance that would be able to help them on the way to the hospital um, if, they, if they were having a difficult time. Peter, one thing that you mentioned earlier was um, Growing up with a, a disorder like GT, a bleeding disorder, kids still want to engage in, in rough and tumble play, playground tag, football, things like that. And parents, of course, need to walk a fine line between wanting their kids to be able to play normally while still also protecting them. Um, do you find the foundation gets frequent questions and discussion regarding this tension in particular? Yeah, quite a bit, especially from new parents. Um, a, a new parent with a newly diagnosed child is really freaking out (laughs) for less of a different word, but um, being a patient that grew up with it, we really have known no other way. So the best thing that someone can do is not freak out about it, ease children away from certain situations in the best way possible, and really just try to let them grow up as normal as they possibly could. Is this something that you experienced with your sister as well, Taylor? Yes. Um, so she wasn't allowed to do P well, certain things in PE. And of course, you know, feeling left out is a big thing because you want to, you don't necessarily want to stand out, um, especially like in elementary school or middle school, middle school the most. (laughs) But there are some, there are some things that you still can do, you know, um, a couple of people played tennis. Uh, swimming was a big one. Peter Peter swam um, the whole time growing up. So there are still options out there, and it really is just kind of realizing that that is your normal, and and finding finding a way to deal with it, um, whether or not it's you know wearing extra pads or knee pads or whatever. And then you have to you have to kind of weigh the risks of it. Um, when your child first gets a diagnosis, it is an absolute freak out moment because the first things that you hear are, you know, 
uh, life-threatening, you know, could bleed out at any time, which is something that they do tell you because it is true, but it's just not something that you want to think about. And then you're told, you know, there's no cure. So it's almost kind of like this freak out, hopeless uh, sensation where, okay, well, I'm going to put you in a bubble now. And that's not necessarily fair to the child. Um, so there, there were moments where you kind of have to weigh the risks and everything. And you're like, okay, well, I am going to let her, you know, ride a scooter or I am going to let her do this because, uh, you want, you want this, your kid to have the most normal experience ever. Um, and so we have, we have people within the community who horseback ride, um, who are, you know, going to vet school and get kicked by cows or <laughs> kicked by horses or anything like that. So it just, again, like Peter was saying earlier, you kind of have to know your body and you have to just be very aware of what's going on. Um, you can't, you can't live in a bubble. So you, you do have to kind of figure out what you're okay with doing and what you're not okay with doing. And the hemophilia treatment centers, the HTC, they offer summer camps for kids with bleeding disorders. Have you found this to be a good option for kids with GT as well? Unfortunately, it depends on your location. So each one of those, even like with like the hemophilia, um, National Hemophilia Foundation, like we have hemophilia of Georgia, each one is kind of individual. Um, we actually have um, a gentleman within the community who's on the board of like SoCal hemophilia. And he was explaining this. Each one's individual. They're just kind of under the umbrella of it. So some of them are absolutely great. The one out in Southern California is amazing. Uh, they, they do a great kids camp every summer um, that a couple of uh, our GT people go to. And then some of them just it, unfortunately, because GT is so rare, it just doesn't really get, um, you know, even, even if you have it and you show up, it just doesn't get the attention that it would, that would be helpful, I guess, um, would be the best response to that. So, um, Peter, uh, up where you are, I don't think that you really connected with your um, hemophilia treatment center, right? No, no, yeah. no solo until I met everyone else with GT. Right. And that's something we're actually going to start looking into because there were so many of us who didn't realize the resources that the hemophilia treatment centers have. And so I actually um, plan on going and touring our local one and kind of asking some questions. That way we can add to the website about, you know, what, what type of resources are available and that would be helpful for um, someone with GT. Okay, and uh, sort of turning to assistance now, one important way that people can help those who have bleeding disorders is through blood donations, uh, you know, something that's also sort of top of mind right now because of the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if people are interested in donating blood, in the case of GT, what kind of blood donations are the most helpful? Honestly, just the regular blood donations. Uh, my sister does filtered red cells if she needs um, to get a transfusion of any kind. Um, Peter, you do HLA matched, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, just donate, donate blood. Um, Cause it really is, you really are saving lives by donating blood. 
And what would you recommend for somebody who wants to help spread awareness of GT? Get our website out there for sure. <laughs> it is such a good resource. Uh, get our website out there and just talk about it. Talk about it as much as possible. Um, There's so many people who just have never heard of it. Um, even even within the medical community, there, there are tons of people um, in medical school or who uh, even doctors who, who are not familiar with it. And I would just add to that, that we're a very open board. Really anything that's coming through to the website, if you send an email, we have a suggestion box on the bottom. If you see something that maybe you would add to the website, let us know and we're very quick to get back to everybody. Are there awareness events for GT and awareness day or an awareness month that people should be on the lookout for? But March 1st is National GT Awareness Day. Um, it was signed into, uh, by, uh, Congress and everything. I was looking to see if I had the resolution right next to me and I don't. And, uh, that was super, super duper exciting. Um, when we had that. So we, we do that every year, you know, we, we change our profile photos. Um, and Peter, Peter has made this awesome, uh, temporary, like profile photo or frame, um, for Facebook. And that's gotten a lot of awareness, um, as well. And we do, we are on Facebook as we try to post any new articles or anything, and then try to get as many people as possible to share it. And then I'm constantly sending out invites to all of my friends to like the page. I'm probably really annoying about that, but <laughs> I'm like, come on, you can like the page. <laughs> And so at the moment, uh, there is no cure for GT. Uh, however, uh, that is something that researchers are looking into. Uh, can you speak a little bit about uh, the state of treatment or the state of a cure for GT? So uh, Dr. David Wilcox, he's um, up in Wisconsin. He has been uh, working on a cure. He was able to cure it in dogs. He was able to cure it in mice. And now he actually has uh, cured it or corrected it in human cells. So our next step, which is the most expensive step, is to work towards human trials. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of our fundraising, like we're going to start ramping that up, um, applying for grants and everything, because human trials cost about $5 million. <laughs> And how close on the horizon is that? Do you have a timeline that you're shooting for? Obviously, in the year of COVID, timelines have gone right out the window. Right. Uh, but um, Again, honestly, that really just depends on funding. But mm -hmm. we're hoping to see a cure within the next 10 years. Okay. Well, we'll certainly be keeping our eyes on that as well. We, we do aggregate rare disease news every day. So I hope that we see that trials have started at some point in the future. <laughs> is there anything uh, that you would like our listeners to know? Anything else that we might not have touched on? Uh, anything that you want to be sure that they're aware of? In general, for any rare disorder, no matter how rare you think it is, that you're never alone. You just have to go digging enough on the good old Google machine, and I'm sure you're going to find some help somewhere. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing, is that I think one of the reasons why I love what y'all do over at Patient Worthy so much is because not only are you connecting people with rare disorders, but it's not even necessarily people who all have the same rare disorder. So keep doing what you're doing. Like, I think it's awesome. And 
Okay. Well, Taylor, Peter, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today. And if you'd like to know more about the Glansman's Research Foundation, check out their website at curegt.org. You can also find them on Facebook by searching for the Glansman's Research Foundation. And I believe you also have uh, community groups on both Facebook and Discord. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, check out the Glansman's Research Foundation if you'd like to know more. And as always, thank you for listening.